Anybody here ever read the book or watched one of the many movies about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? I have never read the book, I'm pretty sure, but there's some memory in my mind of some black and white um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie that I watched. The premise, most of us are pretty familiar, but the premise is that there is a man respected among his peers, Dr. Jekyll, which I always thought he was the weird guy. Because Jekyll just sounded like, but it's Mr. Hyde is the evil guy. Dr. Jekyll is this respected physician, respected among his peers, but he possesses a hidden dark side. So he tries to create, design a potion to isolate and to eliminate this dark side of his personality. And while the potion works to completely isolate this evil Mr. Hyde from the respectable Dr. Jekyll's personality... This ends up freeing this monster from any of his alter ego's positive influence. Hyde's behavior becomes worse than ever before, and each one, Hyde and Jekyll, struggling to be the one in control. Finally, Dr. Jekyll, wearied by the struggle and unable to find a hope of defeating the evil living through him, Jekyll chooses to end his own life in order to put a stop to it. Now, I know that's not exactly a happy way to start out the morning. It's sort of a sad story, right? hopelessness. Couldn't find a way out, and as a result, he gave up. But without being overly dramatic this morning, friends, the problem that Dr. Jekyll was trying to cure is a situation that we all face and that we all struggle with this morning. We all have a side of us that longs for what it shouldn't. There is a side of our nature that seems to always be at odds with what is good and what is right and what is true. In the Jekyll and Hyde's case, the contrast between them was really severe, right? A respected doctor and a violent murderer. And while the struggle that goes on within us may not be quite so dramatic, there is a real battle in us every day. It's a struggle for dominance between the selfish, the self-centered, the manipulative, the angry, the hurt, the insecure, the anxious, the lustful, the greedy, the controlling, the demanding, the critical, the indifferent, and the discouraged side of us. A part of us that the Bible describes as the flesh. The flesh wants what it wants when it wants it all while making up good reasons why it's just and right and good for us to do so. Trying to persuade us to believe, to to buy in. It's absolutely right, it's perfectly good that I can do whatever I want, when I want. The flesh is really good at making excuses, and it wants what it wants when it wants it. So there's a struggle between our flesh And the best part of who we are, the side that stands in faith, that reaches out in love, the side that pursues the truth, that offers grace and responds with patience and restraint. The Bible tells us that these qualities become present in us as we make room for God's Spirit to work in us. Faith, love. Truth, grace, patience, restraint. These are qualities that come as a result of us spending time and making room for God's Spirit. There's a war between the flesh and the Spirit. Out there and in here. In each one of us, there is a war raging between the flesh and the Spirit. 
And which side wins those battles will determine the blessing and the cursing of our lives. Which side wins that war will ultimately draw us towards God or drive us away from Him. Learning how to win this battle is critical for us. There's a man named Paul, was a brilliant teacher and devoted follower of Jesus. He wrote most of the New Testament, and he explains this inner conflict that resides in each one of us. I'm reading out of the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16 and 26. Paul writes, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, though, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Recognizing, friends, that we are in a battle is the first step, but it's not enough to win. It's just the first step. We have to be willing to fight After we understand we're in a battle, we have to choose to be willing to fight. Then we have to find a winning strategy that that we will put into action until we win. Right? These are all separate pieces. We have to understand that we're in a battle, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to fight. Then we have to be willing to fight, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win. We have to find a strategy that will enable us to win. And even having the right strategy won't guarantee us victory until we commit to it. We are going to put it into action until we get to the other side, until we win. Right? You with me? We are all in a fight for the outcome of our lives. The great news is that we can win the fight we're in. You can win the fight you're in. Whatever fight you are uh, struggling with in your mind, in your heart, in your life, for your past, your present, or your future, we can win the fight that we're in. As we continue our journey through the book of James this morning, our author is giving us a detailed description of this problem so that we can understand the the desperateness of our situation. And he offers us a clear and simple strategy to win. How many of you want a clear and simple? I like stuff that's clear and simple. (laughs) Right? 
Give it to me plain and help me put it into practice. James gives us clear and simple strategies to win. I'm probably going to have to uh, continue this message next week because I, I start on some of, this, some of the strategy to win, but I can't spend a lot of time on it today. Um, but we're probably going to do a part two of that. But this is going to whet our appetite for next week as well. So let me read to you from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James asks his uh, believing listeners, he says, Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, from your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly so that you can spend it on your own passions. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you think the Scripture means nothing when it says the Spirit that God caused to live within us has an envious yearning? But He gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, the longer we walk with Jesus, the better generally we get at saying no to ourselves and yes to God. I mean, you found that to be true. There's some stuff you used to struggle with you don't struggle with anymore. That's not to say that the struggle's gone, right? But we, we're, we're making progress. No matter how long we walk with Him, there will still be times when our hearts are prone to wander, when our souls are focused on our own gratification. When our minds get stuck in rehearsing offenses or thinking negative thoughts, there are still times in our own lives when the truth isn't really welcome. You ever try to give solutions to your kids or your spouse or your friends? They don't want to hear it. I'm the same way. There's sometimes I'm not ready for a solution, right? I'm too mad right now. I'm too offended. I'm too angry, whatever it might be. There's times in all of us when the truth isn't welcome. When the way forward gets confusing, when our faith begins to weaken, and when our devotion to God begins to fade. I want you and I to win more and to lose less. Anybody want to win more and lose less? Come on, somebody. Right? I want us to get closer to God. I want us to find new courage, new power, new effectiveness in saying yes to God and no to our own way. I want us to take three steps towards learning how to win the fight we're in. Three steps this morning, learning how to win the fight we're in. Number one, we need to be aware of the causes. We need to be aware of the causes. So I've installed a few doors in my lifetime. My first pastor was a Finnish carpenter, and he taught me how to install doors some 30 years ago. So recently, someone hired me to fix some poorly installed doors in a house that they were flipping, getting ready to sell. 
One of the doors in particular was, I would have to say, the worst bit of work, door installation I've ever seen in my life. And there were so many things wrong with it, it took me a while to figure it out. Because I had to determine what was causing the problems before I knew how to fix it. Knowing what causes a problem helps us find the right strategy to make it right or to make it better. If we want to win the fight to do what's right, we need to see its causes. So let me reread so we can focus this morning. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. I'm just going to take that section. Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Notice James isn't saying, look out there. (laughs) It's their fault. It's your neighbor's fault. It's your whoever's fault. It's your friend's fault. It's your spouse's fault. Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, from your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy. You cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask and do not receive, it's because you've asked wrongly so that you can spend it on your own passions. Where do these conflicts come from? What makes us do what we otherwise would not do? What interferes with our relationship with God and with the prayers we pray to Him? James says it's our unchecked passions, our unchecked desires and pleasures that lead us towards conflict and quarrels, murder and envy. Now, I, I don't think he's I don't think he's necessary. I think this murder can be um, physical murder, but it's also that murder in the heart that Jesus talks about when we hate our brother, when we hate our sister, when we hate somebody that lives or loves or votes differently than we do. Murder, pleasures, passions, desires, unchecked in our lives, foster conflict. They are the soil that conflict and quarrels grow, and they're the fertilizer, right? They're the match to the flame. This echoes James chapter 1, verse 14. We started um, so long ago when we first began our journey through the book of James. But each person is tempted when what? He is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Now, James was a guy who honestly looked at how, how temptation worked. He looked at the reasons why he fell into the things that he fell into, why he wasn't the man that he hoped he'd be or the man that maybe he wished he was. He looks very honestly and very thoroughly at temptation. And we are benefiting today, but we also need to look at it as honestly and thoroughly as he did if we want to win the fight we're in. It can be easy to sort of gloss over some of this stuff. It can be easy, ah, it's not that big a deal. But James seems to say it is a big deal. We're tempted when we're drawn away and enticed by our own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. That, golly, that is so descriptive and so right, but also so um, sad and such a warning for us who listen. This is one of those times when the wisdom we find in the Bible is in direct conflict to the wisdom we get from the world around us. There's sometimes where we can kind of travel together. It's not often, 
But this is one of those times when the wisdom we find in the Bible is in direct conflict to the wisdom we get from the world around us. The culture we live in today tells us how we feel is the most important thing about who we are. How you feel is so important. It's the only way to real happiness. Even the only way to find out your true self is to give in to your passions and to your desires. Culture we live in tells us how we feel is the most important thing about us. But James is making the case that, in fact, giving in to these passions, desires, and pleasures will not leave us fulfilled, but will infect our hearts and our minds with conflict and unrest. What's going on within us eventually is going to spill out through us and around us. If there's conflict in our hearts, if there's conflict in our minds, eventually it's going to come out of us and it's going to spill into all of our other relationships, all our other connections. If we harbor negative and critical thoughts, guess what? It's going to spill into our relationships. If we, um, whatever we harbor in our own hearts, it's going to come out. Our families, our friends, our coworkers. How many of you let some of that stuff maybe slip out in a Facebook post before? You're like, I got to get that back. Delete, delete, delete. Anybody ever read the children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? I, I knew. I knew. If you give a mouse a cookie, right? The idea is that if you give a mouse a cookie, what does he want? He wants a glass of milk. And you give him a glass of milk, what does he want? He wants a mirror to avoid the dreaded milk mustache. Then what does he want? He wants a pair of scissors to trim the hair around his face. This continues and goes on and on again until he comes back around to want another cookie. These simple desires are not satisfied by giving in to them. They only create a hunger for more. How many of you know that's true? That thing, man, you've just been waiting for, oh, if I could just have this, oh, if I could just get this new car, I, I just, all I want for Christmas is a brand new car. It's all I ever want. I won't ever want anything again. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Yeah. And you've so, we've, we've said this stuff to ourselves, man, if I just had this, if I just had a nicer house, I just had a car with air conditioning, oh, I would be so happy. And then you get a car with air conditioning, what are you doing? Man, look at that guy's car. He's got air conditioning and he's got air conditioned seats. And in the winter, he's got a heated, man, I want a heated steering wheel. Come on, somebody. My hands are never going to be cold again. I just don't want heated seats. I want a heated steering wheel. No matter what we get, we give into these desires. They're not satisfied by giving into them. They only create hunger for more. This is an accurate picture of human nature. We want whatever we don't have. Until then, we get what we want. We're not satisfied until we have more. Something else takes its place. There's a yearning in our hearts that will never be filled unless we allow God to fill it in us. If we want peace inside and out, we need to push back on desires and passions and pleasures. Giving in to them is not going to solve any problem. It's only going to create more. We can't allow something as arbitrary as our emotions and our feelings to run our lives. If we want to train in such a way that enables us to win more and lose less, then dealing with our emotions is the first place to start. When we start to feel 
in our heart, in our mind, from moving ourselves, going towards something unhealthy or ungodly, we need to push back against it. When we start to feel our hearts and our minds moving in this direction towards something unhealthy or ungodly, we have to push back against it. Anger, hatred, greed, lust, discouragement, despair, worry or fear, doubt or bitterness or pride. We can't let it hang around. So I'm just going to ignore you. You're eventually going to go away. No, it won't. And the longer you let it stay, what happens? The harder it is to get rid of it. The more room you make for it, the harder it's going to be to clean all that stuff out. I've learned this the hard way. Many of you have as well. We can't let it hang around. We can't talk ourselves into letting it just be part of the furniture. We've got to push it back and we've got to kick it out. The longer we let it stay, the harder it is to get rid of it. The more room we give to them, the more cleanup that's required to fix it. The more room we give to bitterness, the more room we give to anger, the more room we give to lust, the more room we give to pride, the more room we give to this stuff, the harder it is to clean it up and the longer it takes. Giving into these unchecked emotions will pull our hearts away from the kind of life that God blesses and will keep us from praying the kind of prayer that God answers. Because we ask according to our own desires to use it for our own purposes. It isolates us and keeps us from the life we really want, the life we really need, and the life we were really designed to live. If we want to win the battle we're in, If we want to be moved more by the Spirit than by our flesh, then we need to take these causes seriously and work to avoid them. The next step, three steps this morning to learn how to win the battle we're in. The next step we have to take other than being aware of the causes is that we have to recognize the effects. We have to recognize the effects, number two. Again, I'm going to review James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you think the scripture means nothing when it says the spirit that God caused to live within us has an envious yearning? Some of your translations talk about God being jealous The origin of so many of these wrong desires and passions is being too close to the things of the world. By giving too much admiration to its achievements, giving too much room to its values, what the world says is valuable, the way that it keeps score, the things that it says are most important will rub off on us if we don't balance our intake. If we don't balance our intake, Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 says, Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. So there is an expression that you've probably heard before, that somebody is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Now, I'll be honest, I've never met that person. I don't know that that person exists. What I'm not saying is what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't have any interests that don't have to do with God or faith. I am one of the saddest creatures on the planet. I regretfully am a Cleveland Browns fan. 
So many of my Sundays are spent lamenting this very fact. But I, it, it, it surely doesn't help my faith, I can tell you. Um, it doesn't reveal, it shows me maybe something about the devil, but it doesn't teach me anything about God. I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any interests that don't have to do with God or faith. But we need to make sure that as we are getting news, as we are reading, listening, or watching, that we need to make room for God's perspective, for God's word, for God's people, for his influence and his presence in our lives. Political commentators don't have the answer. Uh, Government officials don't have the answer. Bankers don't have the answer. Uh, The Wall Street Journal doesn't have the answer. The stock market isn't the answer. Now, is it bad to keep an eye on any of these things? No, it's not. We should. We need to be informed. We need to know how to pray. We need to know how, how to respond. We need to know um, how, what's a biblical response to some of the things that are happening so that not only do we know how to respond, but we can help others to do the same. Those things do not hold the answers. The answers are heart needs. The things that give us the ability to keep going when we want to give up. That give us the ability to make wise choices under pressure. That gives us, that helps us to know what's true or false or right or wrong come from above and not from below. They come from heaven. They come from God. They don't come from the wisdom of this world because the way of this world is almost entirely in opposition to the way of heaven. Let me read to you 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God, but the whole world, somebody say the whole world, is under the sway of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world, you know what he's talking about? Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This world system is corrupt. We live in a planet that is currently under judgment from God. The God of this world, Satan, at some some point in the hopefully not too distant future, is going to be thrown out. Satan no longer has authority over us. He does have ability to to tempt us. He's got ability to even to torment us at times. He does not have the authority to. We can stand and enforce the victory of Calvary through our own faith, through our own devotion to Jesus. But he has the ability to fire those darts and arrows at us. He has the ability to tempt us. He has the ability to make us. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he has the ability to do those things. But he does not have the authority, especially over people who in the name of Jesus stand against him. We'll get to that in a minute. To the God of this world, the way of this world is almost entirely in opposition to the way of heaven. Because of this, James uses some very strong language to encourage us to keep our distance from the ways of this world, from the thinking of this world, from the values of this world. He says friendship with the world is what? Hostility. Say that out loud one time. Friendship of the world is hostility with God, the stuff that we see on our Facebook page. The stuff, some of the stuff you see in Pinterest, the stuff we see on the news, it's hostility with God. He says that if we are the world's friend, we make ourselves God's enemy. These are very strong words. 
There is no ambiguity about what James is saying here. He warns us not to commit spiritual adultery by loving the things of the world more than we love the things of God. These are serious charges, and these are serious implications. James is not messing around. He is warning us the effects of giving place to these emotions by getting too close to the things of this world that drives those emotions, that feeds them and leads us away from God and even sets us up as his enemy. These are difficult concepts to accept that we would be God's enemy because we are um, friending the world, because we are adopting some of its values, because we are celebrating some of its um, virtues. We typically don't see these things as deadly serious as much as James does, but we do ourselves a disservice by thinking James is just being extreme here. He justifies this by pointing out the burning heart behind these warnings. God is jealous for us, not in the way that we're jealous. This is not a selfish, you can't love any else but me kind of a thing. This is God's earnest and powerful desire for us to live in allegiance to Him. We are made for Him. He is our missing piece. No offense to Tom Cruise, wherever you are, I hope you're listening. No offense to Tom, but God and God alone complete us. God and God alone complete us. As completed people, we're much better wives and husbands. As completed people, we're much better friends and neighbors. Nobody in the world can complete you, only God can. And we need God to complete us so that we can stand be strong, and be the people that God has called us to be, doing the things that God has called us to do. I'm not saying we don't need relationships. We absolutely do. God's made us for relationship. But we can't get our significance. We can't get our completeness from that. Everybody's um, praise of you is not your missing piece. Everybody's affirmation of you is not your missing piece. That uh, promotion you're trying to get at work is not your missing piece. God and God alone is our missing piece. He completes us. He wants what's best for us. What is best for us is Him. God wants what's best for us. And the the very best thing for us is Him. When walking, our faith becomes dry. When spending time in God's Word or presence feels like duty instead of privilege and opportunity. We need to remind ourselves the great, powerful, and eternal love that God is reaching out to us with, that He is drawing us close to Himself with. His heart for you and for me wants what is best for us. And what is best for us, friends, is simply more of Him. If we, the fact that we don't desire more of Jesus on a day-by-day basis doesn't mean there's something wrong with Jesus. It means there's something wrong with us. Pastor, t- say that again. I'm, I'm go- Amen, that. Pastor, say that one more time. If there's something in our heart that doesn't crave for more of Jesus, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with Jesus. That means there's something wrong with us. 
Our desires are out of whack, friends. Our vision, we're not seeing complete. We're not um, looking with eyes of faith or uh, we're not seeing truth about who God is. There's something wrong with our hearts. It's like a warning light on the dashboard when we don't want more of God in our lives. We need to see about it. We need to check it out. We need to take it in and make sure everything's working the way it's supposed to be working. If we want to train for a new level of victory, if we want to learn how to win the battle we're in, then we need to, number one, be aware of the causes. We need to, number two, recognize the effects. And lastly, we need to commit to the solution. Commit to the solution. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning. Over sin. He's not talking about don't be joyful. He's not talking about walk around and be sad. He said, turn your laughter into sin. Take sin seriously. Those things that are happening that oppose God that we're making room for. We need to mourn those things. Your joy into despair. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. I would love to take some time here because there's so much in these five verses to consider. That's why next week we're going to dive back in. Um, right here, but James has given us some hard instruction coming up to this point, right? He's called out our spiritual flirtations with the flesh and the world system, but now he offers us hope. He throws us a lifeline that pulls us out of sin and pulls us out of bondage. It pulls us out of deception and selfishness. He's throwing us a lifeline that's big enough to pull us all in to salvation, to pull us all into hope and faith and peace and love and truth. He reminds us here about the grace of God. About the grace of God. God's unbelievable and undeserved kindness that He offers to each one. I know there's folks that don't believe that, but I believe that God offers His grace and His kindness to every person. To each one can come and say yes to God's mercy. Receiving God's mercy, love, and kindness inspires us to respond to Him inspires us to draw near to Him, to align our hearts with His. Receiving God's mercy, love, and kindness. Grace humbles us. Shows us how unlovable we are on our own merits, on our best efforts. Yet, even though God searches us out, He seeks us and He draws near to us, to encourage us, to empower us, to get our motives, our desires, our attitudes, and ultimately our actions lined up with His own. He's seeking us. He's seeking you. He's seeking me. He's seeking them. God's mercy and love and kindness. Friends, we can win more and lose less. We can become who it is that God has fashioned us to be. We can live in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of our flesh if we will recognize and receive grace. We have to humble ourselves and say, I I can't do it on my own. I need grace. We've got to recognize and receive grace. Make room for God and humble ourselves before Him. David, if you could give me a little altar music.
I just want us, before we leave today, thank you for your patience. I know I've, I've gone long today, and I appreciate you hanging with me. Before we leave today, I just want each of us to be able to take a moment to respond to whatever God has His finger on in your life today. James says some hard things. He calls us to account. He doesn't leave a lot of gray space. He says, this is wrong. You need to avoid this. You need to avoid that. You need to make this right. There's grace to pull us out. No matter how deep you're in, no matter how many times you've messed up, no matter what you've done or where you're, the condition of your mind or your heart is right now, there's grace. There's a lifeline that's thrown out to you today if you'll just simply grab hold of it. I grab hold of that lifeline every day. God knows I need it. Friend, God knows you need it too. It's His grace. It's His grace that offers us a chance. It's His grace that helps us to get our minds right, to get our hearts healed, to get our steps in the right direction. It's His grace that calls us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. It's His grace that's available to you and to me today. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, today can be a new day. We can draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to win more than I lost. I'm going to win more tomorrow than I have last week, than I have last year, than I have the rest of my life. I am going to win more this year than ever before. Because I'm going to do those things. I'm going to recognize the, uh, the effects of these causes. These Be aware of the causes. I'm going to recognize the effects. And I'm going to commit to a solution that enables me to be the person that God has called me to be. That enables us to respond to Him rightly. To be in His presence and to receive from Him. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm not sure which one of those steps is maybe the most important for you to take. We talked about three steps to help us to learn how to win the battle we're in. I want us to win more and lose less. I want you to win more and lose less. Your family needs, needs you to win more. Your neighbors need you to win more. Your co-workers need you to win more. Because they need to see Jesus in us in a way that provokes in them a hunger. That they see in us something that they know just isn't, oh, that, that, they're, they're so nice. They're so sweet. There can be a demonstration of God working through us and in us in such a way that people know that's not, there's something about them. God, help us. Help our lives to shine a light that would glorify our Father in heaven. God, I want to win more and lose less. I want the people hearing my voice today to win more and lose less. Lord, help us to get our emotions under control. Help us not to give in to any of that stuff that tries to uh, separate us, that tries to lead us down a path. Boy, if we just had this, if we just had that, if we just felt this, if we just felt that, boy, the whole world would be different. No, it wouldn't. 
Every desire, every pleasure we give into just creates a hunger for more. We need to fill the emptiness, those empty spaces with the only thing that can fill it, with the only thing that can bring healing, and that's the presence, the love, the truth, and the power of God. So God, any place in us, that I, any place in me, I repent that I've tried to fill with other things. Lord, forgive me today and help me to look to you as the only source of my fulfillment, the only source of my completeness. Any brokenness in me, any incompleteness in me, any emptiness in me, Lord, I open it to you and ask you to come and fill it, to come and fix it, and to come and make it right. Forgive me for stuffing anything else in there. God, help us to have wisdom to recognize the effects, to not cozy up to the things of this world, to the mindsets, to the value, and even in the ways, Lord, that we might think is harmless, where we're just making room and making space for the values of this world, for the thoughts of this world, towards the ideas of this world, the philosophies of this world. Lord, we want to have your philosophy. We want to have your truth. We want to have your values. So help us today to make sure that we're making room, that our intake is balanced with your word, your truth, your power, uh, time with other believers, time in prayer, giving our heart to worship. Lord, help us to recognize the effects and respond accordingly and help us to commit to the solution. Help us to humble ourselves and receive grace. Grace for today, grace for tomorrow. You may be listening to my voice this morning. You say, Tim, I need that grace. I know I do. I've never taken that step. But I know right now that if I died, I would not go to heaven. I have no assurance that I have a relationship with God. I don't, I don't believe that I have ever given my life to God in a way that's meaningful, in a way that has allowed Him to come and turn my life inside out, that's allowed Him to tell me how to live, that's allowed Him to set my priorities. But I want to change that today, and I want to say, Jesus, I invite You to come to live in me, to come and live through me. Forgive my sins and make me new on the inside. Friends, there's not something you have to perform. There's not some kind of um, thing. Wait until you get your act together. If you will just surrender your life to Jesus, humble yourself before Him today and invite Him to come and to live in and through you. He can and He will. You're not sure? Ask Him. God, show yourself. If you're real, show me today. Pray that prayer. He longs to answer it and He will. God, touch my friends this morning, those who have, have been walking with you and they just want to win more. God, help us, I pray. Victory. God, victory in the name of Jesus. Victory, not for our own sakes, but for your sake, Lord, that your glory, that your life would flow in us and through us, that it would not be hindered by some of all this other stuff, these other battles that we're losing, the miserableness that we're living in, the lack of power and strength and joy and life that we're holding back just because we're losing so often. God, we want to win more and lose less. Help us to do what we pray. God, in Jesus' name, if that's your prayer this morning, somebody shout it, amen. 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 God bless you folks. I know y'all are hungry. I hear bellies rumbling all the way up here.